Welcome back to Ing Podcast. We all have a desire to learn more about where we come from, and technology has made this more possible than ever. But our family stories are more than a list of DNA results or a bunch of fading images filling old photo albums. In her book, Translating Your Past, author Michelle Van Loon explores how to find meaning in our family ancestry, uncovering genetic clues and generational trauma that may help us find healing and peace. This week, we're excited to announce a 40% discount for Translating Your Past as our Herald Press Deal of the Week. Use the code WEEKLY at checkout and order before March 19th, 2023. Michelle was our guest back in Season 2 of Ing Podcast, and we hope you stick around as we revisit our conversation with her, coming up right after this. The 500th anniversary of Anabaptism in 2025 gives the church a unique opportunity to celebrate and dream. Menno Media invites you to celebrate and dream with us as we embrace the hope and possibility created by this momentous anniversary. As our world continues to evolve and change, the church needs to increase our capacity to offer creative, imaginative resources that inspire people to commit to grow in Christian faith. Menu Media's vision is to lead the way in helping North American Anabaptist Christians experience spiritual renewal by creating fresh, forward-looking resources for Anabaptism's quincentenary celebration. Each resource will offer spiritual inspiration, connection, education, and invitation to the Anabaptist community and to the broader Christian church. To learn more about Anabaptism at 500 or how to add your voice to the first-ever Anabaptist Community Bible, Visit Anabaptism at 500.com. Welcome to Season 2 of Ing Podcast, a production of Menno Media's Leader Magazine. What does it mean to authentically follow Jesus? Each week, Ing Podcast invites you to join us on a journey. Join us as we talk with people of faith who are creatively thinking, growing, and being people who are reimagining and exploring what it means to enrich faith in a complex world. There's a new field of study, relatively new field of study called epigenetics. The effects of trauma carry on top of the gene and can affect subsequent generations. But there is good news in that the effects can be mitigated and addressed if intervention is there, if good community is there, and if some understanding is there about the way that trauma does touch areas of our lives. Our conversation begins now. Join us as we journey together. Well, friends, uh, welcome back to Ing Podcast. We're really glad that you're here with us, and I'm excited today to introduce you to our guest. Um, I'm excited to have one of Harold Press's authors with us. Michelle Van Loon is here today. Um, she is the author of a wonderful book called Translating Your Past, Finding Meaning in Family Ancestry, Genetic Clues, and Generational Trauma. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And yes, that subtitle is a long subtitle. <laughs> it took me a while to learn it as well, because yeah. that was something that Harold Press came up with. And I uh -huh. was like, it captures 
a lot of things. Um, and it captures the thrust of the book, but it's a lot of words. <laughs> it's a lot. And it, it makes me want to know more, too. There's a, mm-hmm. enough there that uh, yes. there's bound to be something in that subtitle that connects with someone and makes them want to open the cover. So I mm-hmm. understand why they gave it. Uh, that Absolutely. Kind of <laughs> Absolutely. I agree. I agree. And it's and honestly, as I've been talking to people since the book's release, it is the generational trauma phrase, which oh. is the third of the three that tends to kind of grab people. Ooh, generational yeah. trauma. Yeah. So, Well, before we get to your book, um, I'm wondering if you could introduce yourself for those who may not know you. Sure. I'd be glad to. Um, I am, I've been a writer for a long, long time. Um, I am a Jewish follower of Jesus, a child of the Jesus movement of the late 60s and early 70s. Hmm. And um, I've been married to my husband, Bill, for 42 years. We've got three adult children, two grandchildren. Um, I've This is my seventh book, so I have a lot to say. And anyone who knows me is like, right, you do have a lot to say. (laughs) Um, Some of it is even good stuff. There's kind of a through line in that kind of my goal or my desire as a writer is to kind of encourage believers toward maturity and to encourage those on the margins who may not be sure if they believe Mm. that there's, there's space for them. Mm. Um, not necessarily in the standard um, approach to the gospel, but there's good news in all kinds of topics, even our family stories, which sometimes have a lot of bad news in them for some people. That makes me curious, um, given that you've authored other books, what led you to this particular subject um, in looking at things like family ancestry and generational Mm -hmm. trauma? How did you arrive at this uh, particular book? I think the seeds of this book were planted way back in the 70s Mm. um, when anybody of my age who lived in America and probably other countries as well um, saw the Alex Haley miniseries that was based on his book Roots, where he Mm, went back and kind of um, explored and interrogated his family's history. Um, Before that, most family histories tended to be used for membership in Daughters of the American Revolution Mm. or um, other kinds of things that had Um, access only for a certain segment of the Mm. population. And even though both of my parents were Jewish, Alex Haley's story really captured me for a lot of reasons that Mm. I kind of unfolded in the book. My family had a lot of um, mysteries in it. There were things that people didn't want to talk about. Um, There was a lot of trauma um, Anybody who knows the history of the Jewish people, you know, even in the last hundred years, yeah. it started with pogroms, moved to the Holocaust, um, lots of upheaval. And, you know, even now in the news with the war in the Ukraine with a Jewish president who's yeah. the child of Holocaust survivors, those themes 
continued to emerge. So Alex Haley's story in the miniseries emboldened me to start asking some of those questions. Mm. And my curiosity has never really dissipated since then. Mm. So, Well, I feel like I learned something every time I interview a guest on this podcast, but something in what you just said there about our family stories at one point in time, just being kind of lifted up as legacy and things to sort of classify us or be proud mm-hmm. of and not necessarily looking at our whole family history, mm-hmm. but kind of hiding away the parts that were maybe not as ideal as we might. That, mm-hmm. that is, that's a new thought to me. And I'm really glad to hear you say that too. Mm-hmm. And perhaps I benefited as someone born in the early eighties, uh, to have roots come before me, uh, mm-hmm. meant that it was okay, perhaps in a different way to, um, acknowledge all of our past, although I'm sure, you know, like so many other sort of progressive movements, we're not quite there yet. We're still, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're still pretty good at hiding our, our skeletons away. But mm-hmm. um, there does seem like there is more space, more opportunity and more posture, I guess, for, for our, our full selves in, in the way that we move about. And I'm assuming your book helps people to get to that point too. Yes. Well, and I think, a lot of times when the the language of family stories comes up it comes up in a in a narrow kind of slot it's yeah. either medical history or somebody buys a consumer dna test like an ancestry.com yeah. or 23 and me and they get back results and go oh look i'm 78% scottish or yeah. you know whatever and that might launch something um Anybody who's gathered with family for family holidays and they always make, you know, some special meal or whatever that grandma made and grandma made before that, we always have um, those connections to the past. And those who don't, those who are adopted or their, their childhood home was disrupted in some way, maybe they think, the big blank space I have is all that I know in my family's story. But I actually um, speak about those blank spaces Mm. or secrets or mysteries because they're part of the frame that shapes us, even if we don't have all the data. Uh, My head is going in a bunch of different directions now. I need to sort of (laughs) try and figure out where where to go from here. One of the questions uh, that you actually sent me ahead of time, I think might be a really interesting next step. Um, This idea that uh, people of faith often have where our primary identity is in our faith. So we are Christian or we are Jewish Mm -hmm. or we are Muslim and we kind Mm -hmm. of downplay the rest of ourselves as if our primary identity is our spiritual one. Um, And so in that, it kind of begs the question, then why do family stories matter if mm-hmm. our primary identity is in those uh, religious spaces, that is one of those things. It's a it's a message that I got as a young believer and as a maturing believer. Um, if you think about the way that many churches talk about faith and family, um, often there's formulas involved. Here's how to be a a good husband or wife, or yeah. here's how to parent your children successfully. You know, if you just follow these steps and here's these Bible verses and here's these models. Um, 
those things are helpful. They they absolutely are. And our our identity is in our community of faith. Absolutely. But God brings us to those communities with all of our past with us. We're carrying that in. And sometimes that one-size-fits-all kind of approach, nobody actually intends for it to be that way. But the messaging is, if you just do this, then all the mess in your past or all the heroes in your past, the scoundrels in your past, you know, that you'll be able to mute that and somehow Mm -hmm. forge a path forward that's that's awesome and successful and has a happy ending. It doesn't work that way. And scripture (laughs) itself doesn't doesn't try to sell us that idea. Interestingly, if you pull verses out of context and slap them together in curriculum, and I'm saying this as somebody who's written a lot of curriculum, so I understand the temptation or or the message that comes with that. And I love writing curriculum, but I'm recognizing that the story that you bring into a worship space is different than the one that I bring in Mm. or that a a brand new immigrant who's just been through a lot of trauma brings in or somebody that's got an amazing family history of faith brings in, you know, and that's, and we're all invited to the same table, but we are coming together with all of those stories that shape the way that we see God and one another. Hmm. Some backstory about me. My, uh, I, I had a sense of, a sense of call to be a minister, um, uh, somewhere near the end of high school and moving into college. Uh, I had grown up at Weidman Mennonite church. My last name is Weidman, uh-huh. uh, not knowing much of the story of why it was called Weidman Mennonite Church. And it was only when I announced that I had this call to ministry that I was told, well, Henry Weidman was the first ordained Canadian Mennonite minister. He rode his horse from Pennsylvania to Ontario, mm. Canada. He, um, you know, founded your home community. His son and his son's sons and son's son's sons were all ministers. And really it was only a few generations ago that, uh, there weren't Weidman Mennonite ministers mm-hmm. here at this church. And all of a sudden, like the pieces all fit, but I thought, boy, that, that story would have been interesting to hear. And, and how am I hearing that differently than my siblings who did not choose to be ministers? Are they sort of breaking yes. from that, that as well? Um, so I'm wondering, I guess, two things. One, when we learn these things about our our family stories that solidify our identity, mm-hmm. is there some danger in that too? That it also may <laughs> make us think we're not right. living up to a family identity or something right. like that. Right. Well, right, and a lot of that has to do with the kind of emotional um, and social patterns yeah. in a family. Um, I, I share a story uh, in the book about um, my maternal grandmother. Um, She died a week after my mom was born Mm. and my mom was adopted and raised by a second or third cousin. I'm still working on trying to figure out exactly what that connection was 
in history. You know, the internet is an amazing thing and it lets us, uh, you know, gives us access to be able to research things (laughs) that two generations ago would have required letter writing and trips. Well, anyway, that, that grandmother lived in um, the Pale of Settlement. So that was where um, it includes Ukraine, it includes Belarus, it includes Poland. The borders shifted, but basically it was a, a rural kind of ghetto where a lot of Jewish people were forced to live and eke out an existence for many generations. And then at the time of the Russian Revolution, um, and all of the unrest, and there, there were some civil war kinds of things happening in some regions as well. Uh, there was a huge migration of Jewish people to the United States. The movie Fiddler on the Roof captures that mm. with um, in a much cleaned up and tidy and um, musically addictive kind of way. But my grandmother came to the United States in about 1920. I never knew much about her. My mom didn't find out she was adopted till shortly before she got married. So it was, um, there was a lot of trauma involved in that. And that was part of why I always knew it was not kosher to ask many, um, to ask anything about her, her history. Mm. It was just, it was a painful and tender and traumatic subject for her. But I was very curious and I learned that in Europe, my mom's mother, my grandmother, her name was Molly, um, was involved in Yiddish theater. This is an amazing thing (laughs) by itself, but I started out as a writer, not knowing any of this, as a playwright Mm. and a children's story writer and curriculum writer. And um, I when I learned this just a few years ago, I was amazed that there was this connection that wasn't necessarily rational, um, you know, and it wasn't like. Molly somehow handed that on to me. My mom wasn't anything like that, but there was this, there was some sort of creative legacy mm. that is a part of my family story. Yeah. And um, so that said, your story, you know, of you going one way, your siblings going another way, Truly, it is. It's a part of your story. It's not the whole story. It's not the whole reason for your call into ministry. I've met people who are handed a ministerial role, for example, like now here's the church and father passes the church on to son. (laughs) I'm, I'm not sure that's actually how scripture presents it or how it should work. (laughs) And it is, it doesn't typically lead to healthy um, churches two or three generations down the line. Sometimes it does. There's exceptions because God has no grandchildren. You know, every generation has to encounter and follow him for themselves. And scripture is pretty clear about that as well. So, 
there are things that get passed down in families, um, whether it is um, an interest in ministry or whether it is blue eyes and blonde yeah. hair. What Those things get passed down. Trauma also carries from generation to generation in a lot of cases. Now, that can make it sound like um, the script for your life has already been written. You know, if there's been um, racial trauma, if there has been uh, upheaval, uh, persecution, um, anybody who has been forced from their home into exile, all of those things can actually carry genetically, not in the same way that the blue eyes and blonde hair does, mm -hmm. but there is a thing, there's a new field of study, relatively new field of study called epigenetics, that um, the word itself means above the gene. So trauma kind of carries on top of a gene or the effects of trauma carry on top of the gene and can affect subsequent generations. There's been a lot of interest in this and a lot of study about this in the time that actual DNA has been decoded, which is in my lifetime, um, that they started and finished that process in the span of about 20 years. Mm. And um, the other kinds of fields have studied populations like indigenous Americans, Jewish people, black people who've had um, generations of trauma and the effect of that trauma can show itself in things like um, anxiety disorders or addiction or lower birth weights in, in babies than in the general population. There's all kinds of physiological effects for that trauma. Um, but there is good news in that um, the effects can be mitigated and addressed. Um, you know, if intervention is there, if good community is there, um, and if some understanding is there about the way that trauma does touch areas of our lives beyond just obvious, for example, um, post-traumatic stress syndrome kinds of things. Yeah. Um, so lots of things carry beyond just our physiological stuff, whether it is a heritage of faith or whether it is trauma from um, ongoing persecution, um, those things go, that's what we are bringing with us into our faith communities. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I, I'm so glad that you talked about that hope beyond some of those uh, generational mm -hmm. traumas, because I think our, our sacred books, I'm thinking about some verses in the Hebrew Bible and in the New Testament, um, sometimes are interpreted to say the sins of the past will sort of always be mm -hmm. a burden for, for future generations, as if it's just a, a curse we are 
meant to deal with for the rest of our lives. Right. And, and that was, I, I, I write about that in the book as well, because we do, depending on where you are um, worshiping, you may hear a lot about generational curses, or you hear those verses read, and it sounds like the script has been created in cement. There's no hope. Yeah. And there's no hope if if your great grandfather was a bad, bad dude, then you have to kind of pay that off in your lifetime. Those verses are descriptive, not pre. I mean, they have a prescriptive element to them, but they are descriptive. If we are not addressing and paying attention to those patterns, we are going to be more inclined to repeat them or to react to them yeah. um, in ways that aren't healthy. That is the truth. And mm. the it's not just in the church world that that language is, is used. It was interesting. Um, I saw a discussion about generational curses taking place on a Food Network TV show. Wow. Like, so it's not just like a Christian thing. Yeah, yeah. It is, it, that kind of um, language has kind of made its way into mm. lots of different places in popular culture. Mm. Recognizing that the power, of, we see it in, when we're talking about addictions, for sure, that the propensity for addiction Get, definitely gets carried from generation to generation, but the awareness and the the power of God and the and a supportive community awareness can change the script. It's meant to change the script. Yeah. God yeah. wants us to be able to to understand so that we can make other choices and and create a different legacy. Mm. Wow. Oh, I love that. That 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 really does feel hopeful in the midst mm -hmm. of some really weighty weighty subject matter. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering who um who you were thinking about as you wrote this book. Who who did you write this book for? Mm. What's the audience? We're not supposed to say as authors this is meant for just about everybody. Like <laughs> when we write books, we're supposed to be able to identify kind of who a, a, a particular reader is. Now I understand from hanging around in genealogy websites and, and all of the reading that I've done about trauma over the years, all of the research that I've done over time that my readers may tend to be those in the second half of their lives because that's who tends to start thinking about legacy and pulling together the past. Um, I think that um, younger readers, of which I, I have many, um, also would benefit from being able to realize that understanding the past is how your identity is formed, mm -hmm. you know, that mm -hmm. we aren't just people of faith. We aren't just what we do for a job. We're not just um, any of those things, but the, all of, all of the past 
does inform us. As you've taken on a, a task like this, a really you know, profound subject area, where have you found little glimmers of hope? We talked about that there is hope, but is there anything in this work that you've done that, that has provided you with some hope for future generations? It can take courage to face the hard stuff, the secrets. It, you know, not every family has them, but a lot of fa- a lot more families do than don't. Um, yeah. the, the questions, and it can take courage to face them rather than just um, put them on a shelf and ignore them. It takes It takes some work sometimes, um, some spiritual work, some emotional work, and sometimes the assistance of a counselor mm. or even a spiritual director, depending on where those questions land. But it is of such high value. I find that with every piece of a puzzle that I'm never going to be able to fully solve in my lifetime. None of us can. Um, But every piece leads toward wholeness, leads towards true shalom as an individual. And I bring that into my community. I bring that into ministry, into my writing, into service to others. Hmm. Well, friends, I hope you are feeling just as inspired as I am by this conversation. I really encourage us all to pick up a copy of uh, Michelle's book, Translating Your Past. Michelle, if people want to follow along with uh, what you're doing, the work that you're doing, are there spaces that you would direct them to? You can start with my website, which is michellevanloon.com, and there's two L's in Michelle. Mm-hmm. And Van Loon is like the car and like the bird. So... <laughs> We'll try and link that in our show notes here so that it's there for folks. Well, thank you so much again for being here with us and for taking the time to be on Ing Podcast. Thanks for having me, Ben. The month of May is recognized as Mental Health Awareness Month. And over the next several weeks, we will be highlighting some voices that do work in that particular area. Next week on Ing Podcast, we're returning to a conversation with professor, author, and minister, Reverend Dr. Christian Brady. We have to recognize everybody's going to grieve differently, and we have to give space and room for others who are grieving, especially when we are in the midst of it. It can feel like you're forgetting or not honoring the deceased if you are continuing to live. And that's where then you can turn that grief becomes grace. Find ways to honor your beloved. As always, we'd like to thank our guests and all who support Ing Podcast. Thank you for joining us on the journey. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review in your favorite podcasting app. And if you have something to share, send us a message at theing at menomedia.org or by leaving us a voicemail. Ing Podcast is hosted by Reverend Allison Moss and Reverend Dr. Dennis Edwards and produced by me, Ben Weidman. Views and opinions expressed on Ing Podcast are those of our hosts and guests and may not represent that of Leader Magazine or Menno Media. Ing Podcast is a production of Menno Media, a nonprofit publisher that creates thoughtful Anabaptist resources to enrich faith in a complex world. To find out more, visit us online at menomedia.org.